So we'll just begin with Kirtan. We'll wait for everyone to come. And then we will continue our class on uh, discussing how Maya works in our lives and how hopefully <laughs> she can leave our lives. And um, I'm assuming you can hear me, but I think before I begin, can you just confirm that you can hear me? Because I, I reset things, and I don't know if I reset them correctly, so just give me a, a yes or a no that you can hear me. Otherwise, I'll be chanting. You can hear me. You can hear the keyboard. Because occasionally, I would say something. Yes, good. Okay. Thank you. 
Prabhupada ki jai. Go Premanandi Hari Hari Bo. Maam Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prashnaya Bhutale. Shri Mate Bhakti Vedanta Shamini Tinamane Namaste Sharakshati Devi. Go Rabani Pachari Devi. Say Sasanivari. Pas Jati Dasatarine. Oh, the keyboard was too loud. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I can't. I can, you know what I'm hearing here is different from what you're hearing there. I'm not hearing the keyboard very loud. All right, so we have to. Um, uh, okay, we have to figure this out. I think I have to listen on headphones. I don't know. This is strange. What I'm hearing and you're hearing are not different. I think the phone amplifies the sound. I don't know how to turn that off. It compresses the sound. Anyway, we'll work on it tomorrow. Uh, it worked the other day, though. Um, okay, tomorrow we'll test it again. Or maybe at the end of class we'll test it again. Okay, so... Um, as I've been doing the last few weeks, I've been uh, speaking on a particular topic that's on my mind, and now I think we'll, we'll go back to reading. Um, whatever topics are on my mind now are topics that we've already discussed, more or less. There are slight nuances, but I think we should read a little more and have some discussion. So... Um, I am assuming that you can hear me properly now. Correct? Is that correct? Are we good to go? <coughs> it's just spilled all over my dhoti and my quarto. Hmm. Trouble in paradise. Hold on a second. explosion here. This is dandelion tea. Very healthy. But a little brown. Okay, so I have to bring up the document that we've been reading from. Uh, these are letters from Srila Prabhupada. Mm. So I'm going to begin reading. This is um, August 1969. I don't know if we've read this yet, but as I often say, we don't know we've read it until we read it again, and then we'll remember if we read it. This is about a week ago since we 
we're reading this. I can understand from your letter that you are quite a fit soldier for fighting with Maya. And this is to a uninitiated devotee. Our Krishna consciousness movement is a declaration of war against the activities of Maya. The real description of Maya is given in a Vedic literature called Markandeya Purana in the chapter Chandika. Chandika is another name of the external energy called Maya. This Chandika is described there as the goddess who is putting all conditioned souls in darkness. In this material world, every living entity is under the spell of this Chandika, almost asleep in darkness without knowledge. Every living entity is part and parcel, spirit soul, but in contact with Maya, it has developed different types of consciousness. Represented, represented, represented by varieties of bodies beginning from the aquatics and going to the bodies of demigods and higher planets. These different grades of bodies are developing in terms of life. Uh, <laughs> this is interesting. Different types of consciousness represented by different kinds of bodies. What Prabhupada means is that the various species of life are external manifestations of a certain kind of consciousness. And so, because the living entity in Maya and ignorance develops a variety of consciousnesses, varieties of types of consciousness, then Krishna has created a body, 8,400,000 different kinds of body, to accommodate the 8,400,000 different thousand kinds of consciousness. And sometimes a person in the human form of life does not fully develop the consciousness of a human being or degrades his consciousness. And so therefore, in the next life, he'll become an animal, which is more suited for the consciousness of that person. And sometimes you see a human being and you think that person is acting like an animal. And you can understand that, an, that probably they would be happier as an animal because they're somewhat restricted as a human being. I mean, that sounds funny, but it's true. So the Krishna provides that body. And I was, I was uh, once fortunate enough to be with Srila Prabhupada. He had a little garden in Los Angeles, maybe um, 20 feet by 30 feet, 35 feet by, yeah, maybe 20 feet. Yeah, small, but something nice. Uh, grass and flowers, nice refuge. Prabhupada used to like to go there. And he would go there sometimes and have darshan with his disciples. Sometimes he would go there and meet guests. You may have seen videos. You'll see there's a garden and there's a lot of guests. And sometimes he would go and hear Krishna book in the evening, most likely this summer. I was also had the fortune to be just a few devotees reading Krishna book and Prabhupada just listening. At this one time, I don't know how this topic came up, but the topic of, I guess it was surfing, because sometimes Prabhupada would walk on the beach and, and see the surfers, and you know, things that Prabhupada would see, the devotees would talk about because they wanted to hear what he would say. You know, like, like you know, you look at something and you have your idea, I'll look at what these, you know, they're playing golf, they're knocking this little ball into a hole, it seems like a waste of time. 
So you would make a comment because you wanted to see what Prabhupada would say. You know? So you make your observation. So some observations would sometimes be made. Or, you know, or they would just explain to Prabhupada, you know, they have boards and they write on waves and that. And then, you know, <clears throat> they'd, they'd either just explain it to him or they explain it because they wanted him to say something. And on this occasion, I, I don't remember the context, but it had to be something about surfing. And Prabhupada said nonchalantly, matter-of-factly, that the surfers would become fish in their next lives. Um, I think you could add skin divers, more like, you know, I think the skin divers, even more so, would enjoy being fish because they're actually in the water. But, you know, the dolphins, sometimes you see the dolphins or the seals, they actually ride waves. If you live by the beach and there are seals, you see them sometimes. They're body surfing. And perhaps those were the people that lived at the beach and used to body surf. And now they have a, you know, they have the consciousness of basically wanting to be in the water. So that's how it works, birds and so forth. I was just looking at this. There was a moth inside our house. And it's, it was designed like this, like a fighter, like this is what fighter jets look like. It's designed, it looked like a miniature fighter jet. And sometimes people put wings and they, and they fly. So as your consciousness develops or degrades, there's a body suited to that consciousness. And so, yeah, like Prabhupada said, you know, a woman dies thinking of her husband, she becomes a man. A man dies thinking of his wife or thinking of women, he becomes a woman. So consciousness creates the body. That's a fact. It's just what's how it's working. Um, hmm. This is nice also because Prabhupada's giving a definition of what Maya is. And he says, Chandika is described as the goddess who is putting all conditioned souls in darkness. So sometimes if you can say, if someone says, what is Maya? You can just say, Maya is darkness. That's that's the definition. My high on the car. <clears throat> this verse of Chaitanya Charitamrita, where there's Maya, there's darkness. Krishna Surya Sam, Krishna's like the sun. My high on the car, Maya's darkness. Where there's Krishna, there's no darkness. So simple definition. And then, um, so what does Prabhupada mean by darkness? Then he describes darkness means you have no knowledge. And what is the lack of knowledge? Um, and Prabhupada says, I'm spirit soul. But because I don't know that, I develop different kinds of consciousness to enjoy, and then I get different kinds of bodies. Um, that's Prabhupada's kind of summarizing the material world. When the consciousness comes to the point of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, then life becomes perfect in its original condition. Therefore, in a sense, this Krishna consciousness movement is declaring war against Chandika, who has kept the living entities under her spell. And, and from my vantage point, just as a person who's teaching people how to get out of Maya, I, I see that Maya is very reluctant to really let even serious devotees fully out of her clutches. And so often... 
I will get letters from devotees that, you know, I fell into Maya or I did something stupid or I'm struggling with this doubt or struggling with this addiction. And this is very, very common. And even though these devotees were, were doing better at another point, sometimes they come into a situation and they're really struggling. <clears throat> and so this analogy of war is applicable because, you know, sometimes you're winning and sometimes Maya's winning. And this is this theme is it's always coming up. Um, and so it's a good analogy to understand that Maya is always trying to bring us back somehow or other, engage us in her service, keep us away from Krishna. It's a, it's a, it's a constant battle. And sometimes devotees say, you know, Maya is so strong, but really, it's not that Maya is so strong, it's just that they put their hands down. And so if, you know, if you're fighting and and you leave yourself vulnerable, you'll get attacked, whether it's war or wrestling or boxing or whatever, or even negotiation, business negotiation, or court. You know, you have to you have to be aggressive and offensive, and you also have to be uh, aggressively defensive to protect yourself. So when you slacken, then, as Prabhupada said, Maya is right behind Krishna. So when you move Krishna out of the way, then she just jumps. Here's her chance. She just jumps on you. And that's the way battle works. Whenever there's, wherever there's a weakness, a vulnerability, the opponent will attack. And, and so it's just no different with Maya. So um, I'm going to read that again. And therefore, in a sense... Krishna consciousness movement is a declare, declaring war against Chandika, who, is, who has kept the living entities under her spell. Chandika's first spell is to make us identify ourselves with these material conditions. Just like a living entity, because he is born and brought up in American condition, he thinks himself as American. Similarly, others are thinking they're Indians or Canadians or French and so on. Actually, one is none of these material designations, but he is pure Krishna consciousness, now covered by the smell, spell of Chandika's energy or the material energy. So as you know, as you well know, if you've heard Prabhupada speak or if you've read his books, this basic ABC, you're not the body, you're not American, you're not Indian, he says it over and over and over again. And after you hear it a number of times, it's very easy just to <clears throat> kind of turn your mind off when you hear it, thinking, I already know that. So naturally, one may question, if we already know that, <clears throat> why does Prabhupada keep talking about it? I think the obvious answer is, we only understand it intellectually. <clears throat> but anytime we're feeling any sort of material attachment, it means we don't understand we're not the body. What to speak of sexual attachment? I'm feeling attracted to the opposite sex. It, it's not going to happen unless I identify myself as a man or a woman. 
If I identify myself as spirit soul, that sexual attraction won't be there. Discrimination, prejudice, it's not going to be there unless I have some identification with my body and identify others as their bodies, and I don't like their bodies because their bodies are the wrong ethnicity, the wrong color, the wrong religion, the wrong race, the wrong gender. And as you know, the, the unfortunate reality is that when you become Krishna conscious, it doesn't just all go away on day one. But we've developed this bodily conception along with all the corollaries, the envy, the prejudice, the lust, and so forth. That's been well cultivated for lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. And, I, and, and we, we often see that someone, when someone becomes Krishna conscious, they think that's all going to go away, like in a few weeks. And if you remain a devotee long enough, you start to realize this contamination is deeply rooted. And then a lot of times you'll see things coming up in your devotional life, in your interaction with other devotees, and you might be thinking, but this is very strange the way I'm thinking or very strange the way this devotee is thinking because devotees are not supposed to think like that. And then the only obvious conclusion is this is all the conditioning that we're up against, that we're dealing with. And this is one of the best ways for Maya to attack us. Um, on Monday I was saying, we're throwing out the question if... if Maya asked you, what's the best way I could keep you in Maya? Just being honest. What would you say? Or another way of asking the question is, what's, what, what is the bait that's easy for you to take when Maya puts it in front of you? And if you think about it, it's going to be all the things we're conditioned by previous to, previous to Krishna consciousness. Back in 70s and 80s, there was a movement, an anti-cult movement, because... There were a lot of new religious groups and a lot of young people were joining them and the parents were very upset because they thought that these their, ki their kids are being brainwashed or, you know, they've, they're, they're developing this whole new, new culture and this new way of thinking which is so contrary to the way society thinks. And so they formed a movement to, you know, educate parents, educate society about cults because they saw all these new religious movements as dangerous. And so, and so there were a few people who formed companies and they would actually, with the authorization of the parents, although it was illegal, they would actually kidnap their, their child and the deprogrammers would bring them to a hotel or bring them somewhere and they would just stay there and they would tell them that this is all bogus, your guru is bogus, you know, blaspheme. Blaspheme is it is effective in breaking faith, but rarely did it work um, because devotees had faith and and they understood that they understood the philosophy. And I believe that what would have broke maybe have broken the devotees more easily is to facilitate their past conditioning. Like what what did they used to like to do? Give them those things because the condition, you know, the, the faith is pretty strong when you become a devotee. 
And, you know, these people say are saying ridiculous things. Your guru is this. You know, it's all stuff that they, they've heard, which isn't true. So it's hard to break the faith of a devotee when they're obviously telling you lies, which you know are lies. And, and occasionally they were successful, but probably because the devotee, really his faith was weak. But in cases where their faith was strong, I always thought probably the best way to deviate them from Krishna consciousness is not try to break their faith, but is to give them the form of maya that they were most attached to before they were devotees. What, what did you used to like to do? You know, whatever it was, just provide that. Okay, you, you want to do this? Let's go do this. And so just engage them in material activities, um, those specific activities that they were kind of addicted to before, and then gradually <laughs> it will just deviate them from Krishna consciousness because our conditioning is what really we're up against, I think, more than faith. Because as long as you have association of devotees, you have Prabhupada's books, um, and you don't, um, allow yourself to he to hear blasphemy of Krishna's devotees. And there are people on the internet who are blaspheming Prabhupada, as they're calling Prabhupada a racist, racist, misogynist, this and that. So, you know, there's you know no shortage of blasphemy. If if you're into blasphemy, you can. Um, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta was criticized even by his own disciples. I mean, it's endless. That that is a faith breaker to hear blasphemy. But in this case. These programmers didn't know enough to, to actually effectively blaspheme because they were just saying things which the devotees knew were ridiculous. So anyway, it's something, you know, that all of us have to be careful about. Our conditioning, these things that we're more or less obsessed with before we were devotees or addicted to, uh, we have to be careful. That that is an excellent way for Maya to deviate us. So, um, yeah, I am, and it's all, you know, as Prabhupada's saying here, it's all based on thinking I'm this physical body. I am a young American, this or that, and then you can just, you can go down. I'm young American musician, writer, film producer, university graduate, husband, father of two, you know, just all these identities. All these identities are... If you have all the... If you're surrounded by all these identities, how will you ever be Krishna conscious? So that's why Prabhupada was, you're not the body, you're not the body, you're not the body. Because we're surrounded by hundreds of identities. And all those identities have ramifications. What are the ramifications? We're trying to be cool, we're trying to be appreciated, we're trying to be successful, trying to outdo others, we're trying... It's just, it's, you know, and it all begins with this identification. And all the pride, all the envy, all those things that we're struggling with, it all begins with identification with the body. And that's, 
you know, you can talk about humility, you can talk about all these things, but really it's rooted in identification with the body. That's why Prabhupada talked about it so much. Because if you can uproot that, along with that, pretty much you uproot material existence. And, and until you get over that, you're pretty much grounded in material existence. That's how it works. Because also, as you know, where there's identification of the body, then we're always looking at this world in terms of what's enjoyable, what can I enjoy, but what's enjoyable for what? For the body, that's or the mind. That's all, that's all it is. I mean, think about it. Think about anything you want to enjoy, you want to enjoy. Well, what is it? It's one of your five senses or your mind. That's all it is. And if you didn't have a body, you didn't have those five senses, then there wouldn't be that need to enjoy it. And similarly, if you have a body but you don't identify with it, then there's no need to enjoy it. And that's all material enjoyment is. It's enjoying, smelling, hearing, speaking, tasting, and touching. That's it. That's how you enjoy the world. Take that away, you can't enjoy. I mean, all sense gratification is only available through the five senses and the mind, because you can enjoy in your mind. You can think about enjoying it. Or you can enjoy intellectually by discussing philosophy, psychology, religion, politics, sociology, history, as it's discussed, you know, TED Talks, so many interesting, intellectually stimulating topics. But that's also a form of sense gratification. It's subtle, it's not gross, but it's stimulating, it's gratifying you mentally. So either we want to gratify ourselves mentally or through one of the five senses, that's, that's all it is. That's the name of the game down here. What do you guys do down there? Well, we have five senses and we just gratify them as much as possible. That's what we do. And if that doesn't work, we think about gratifying. Or we sit around and talk about the fact that we can't gratify them and that gratifies us. Isn't that funny? Uh, isn't that funny? So that's, you know, that's all it is. That's all we're doing. You know, think about your day and you see something. Oh, smell that. That smells good. <laughs> you go into the store. Oh, it's a cinnamon. It's a cinnamon roll. Mm. Then you want to eat it and it tastes good. And it smells good. That's you get two out of five senses. It tastes good and it smells good. Right? You can go to a movie. It sounds good. It looks good. And you can eat popcorn and it tastes good. And you get three. That's even better. And now you know why sex attraction is so strong because you get all five at once. So the more you get at once, the more and the more intense the pleasure is the more entangling that activity is, the more difficult it is to give up. And that's how we become addicted to the material world. The more intense the pleasure you get through one of those five senses, the more addictive, addictive that activity becomes. And we're trying to completely control the senses. So there has to be some realization, some detachment. Okay, so I may have depressed you, but uh, and I'll get to your questions in a minute. I may have depressed you, but I, I want to encourage you now. You may all be thinking, yeah, I've been a devotee so many years and I still think I'm the body. You know, like I, you know, when I brush my teeth, I think that's me. These are my teeth. 
and I have a headache, and I think, it's my head that's aching, and, and this is normal. Or I smell the cinnamon roll, it smells good, I want to eat it, and it gratifies me, and I believe I'm being gratified, when in fact it's only the physical body. So then you might think, is there ever going to be a day that I realize I'm not the body? But we actually do realize we're not the body every time you chant Hare Krishna. It means you could be doing something to gratify your body, but now you're doing service to the holy name, or you're reading Bhagavatam, or you're sitting in class right now. So the fact that you're sitting in class right now is, is some evidence that you under, at least understand you're not the body. You might say, I don't realize it, but it's evidence, because if you thought you were the body, why would you hear a class about the fact that you're not the body? It wouldn't be interesting to you, right? So when we're engaged in devotional service, when we're engaged in making any kind of sacrifice of sense gratification, or even when we're engaged in satisfying the senses, taking prasadam or eating to maintain the body, but it's Krishna Prasadam, or we're resting so that we can get up and be refreshed to do service. All of that is a manifestation of acting off the bodily platform. So even though there's one side of us that is entangled, then you might say, yeah, but I still think I'm a man, or I still think I'm a woman, even when I'm doing those things. But still, you're not acting like a man and a woman per se. You're acting as a spirit soul. So Prabhupada has said that, has given us that. You know, you get up, you go to Mangalarti. That means you realize I'm not the body. Otherwise, the body would be happier resting. So we are act, so acting off the bodily platform doesn't always mean you realize at that moment you're not the body, but your activities demonstrate your understanding that you're not the body. So that's a little bit of an encouragement, you know. So you don't feel so bad. Oh, yeah, I I only identify with my body, and every time you control your senses, then you're acting as a spirit soul. You're not acting on the bodily platform. You're acting in realization, I'm a soul. Otherwise, if I, if I didn't think I was a body, I would have just gratified my senses pretty much unrestrictedly. As long as it's legal and not totally immoral, then I would just do it. But for devotees, there are many things that we don't do that are not immoral, that are not wrong, unethical, but they're overindulgence in sense gratification. So we just don't do it because we understand we're not the body. And gratifying the body is not the ultimate goal of life, even though we may identify with the body. So, okay, I'm going to go back because you have lots of comments. I was applauded for something, but I don't know what. Thank you, Victor for your applause. Krishna Karshani says, Srila Prabhupada said that we are in Maya and from time to time we fall into Krishna. <laughs> so it seems that we are in Maya all the time. And if we think we are in illusion, I am wrong, but it seems... It seems for developing on our level, being free from Maya is impossible. It seems that we have to... Um, live with our own maya. The question is, how to live with the maya? Well, Prabhupada did answer this question. Um, I mean, when pra when the devotee said, um, sometimes I fall in maya, and Prabhupada said, you're always in maya, sometimes you fall in Krishna. He was, he was trying to make the devotee realize, you know, you're on the stage of bhajana kriya. 
So, you know, when you're in prema, you, when you're in bhava or some higher state, you could say, I fell into maya. The connotation I fell into maya is that I'm completely Krishna conscious and I slip for a minute. I think Prabhupada wanted to make that point, just reiterate it. But I don't think at the same time um, Prabhupada wanted us to understand that even though we're engaged in devotional service, we're in maya. Because there are letters and Prabhupada said, you know, here's our schedule and you follow the schedule and there'll be no room for maya. So I, th- I think there's a another way of looking at this. <clears throat> I may be in maya and sometimes fall into Krishna in my consciousness, but I can be in Krishna consciousness by engaging in devotional service. So I may not be completely Krishna conscious, but I neither am I in Maya because I'm engaged in devotional service. So that was the way Prabhupada generally explained it. Be engaged in devotional service always, and then you'll be fine. You, there will be no Maya. And Prabhupada said that. Remember we were reading last week, you know, no gaps, because the gaps is where Maya comes in. So have no gaps in your, in your, in your life. Just be so busy engaged in devotional service that there's no gaps for Maya. And that way you're, you're in Krishna consciousness. It may be that we're just discussing this in a relative level. What, you know, you're in Krishna consciousness. You, uh, that would apply to you the day you move in the temple. You, you know, you're fully engaged all day in devotional service. So you're in Krishna consciousness all day. But to say you were Krishna conscious all day? Probably not. But to say you were in Krishna consciousness all day, yeah, you were engaged all day. So you were being, when you're engaged in service, then you're protected from the influence of the modes of nature because service, service is transcendental. So Prabhupada used to say that a lot. You know, be engaged all day, no room for, don't leave any room for Maya. Maya will creep in when there's no engagement. So that's what we're trying to do as far as possible. And if you work, you see your work as service. That's your engagement. Then you come home and you have time to engage more, finish your rounds, take prasadam. Just there should be no gap where it's just, okay, time out. Now we're going to enjoy material life. Not like that. That's that's the point. But to be, you know, fully in Krishna conscious, yeah, sometimes we fall into it by some mercy, you know. I think that's what Prabhupada, and he, you know, Prabhupada was also funny and sarcastic, so sometimes, you know, he would make a point sarcastically, but, but, but when you want to understand something that Prabhupada said, you always, you always want to try to understand it, oh, so bright here, you always want to try to understand it you know, within the context of other things he said on that subject. Otherwise, you know, sometimes it, it seems like what Prabhupada says is very clear. Oh, this is what he means. But then if you read 10 other things he says about it, then often you realize, oh, well, this is not the only thing he said about this. He said other things, and so now I have to look at it from different points of view and try to understand it more holistically. So that's, a, I think, a more holistic understanding. Always be engaged, and you'll be okay. You won't be in Maya, and you will experience that also. If you're always engaged, you won't experience the pullings and pushings of the modes of nature very strongly. Um, I, deal with, I deal with men um, who have sexual trouble. I mean, not that I deal with it, but we have a program for them, and they, they often write me, and I've done some workshops on it. 
So that's my dealing with it. So um, I get letters from them, um, from men who have challenges. And they always say, it's very common, you say, I'm very challenged with this. Say, but when I was in Vrindavan and Parikrama, or when I was on the on this festival program, or when we had the kirtan mail, or this or that, I wasn't bothered by it. So it could be sexual urge, or whatever it is that is your particular form of maya that's difficult for you. And we all have this experience that the absorption level in Krishna consciousness, when it's high, when the sangha is really powerful then these condition, this conditioned nature doesn't really affect us. So does it mean that person said, you know, I'm completely Krishna conscious during that three weeks of the festival? It's not exactly what is meant, but it, it's, it, what is meant is that being absorbed and being in that good association, the modes of nature were not really pushing and pulling me. So I think that's what Prabhupada meant. Um, you, if you're engaged... It's like, if you're always engaged, then you'll always be engaged, because if you're always engaged, Maya won't do anything to deviate you. But if you leave if you leave time open for Maya, then Prabhupada is saying, then you're, you're becoming vulnerable to her influence, because as we said before, she's always looking for some gap where she can get you. And you all know, you all know, because you know yourself well enough, you all know what your weaknesses are. And you know if you leave yourself vulnerable in those areas, Maya, that's where she's going to get you. Whatever that is. It may not be sense gratification, per se. It may be doubt, or it may be the propensity to criticize. It may not be some obvious gross form of, of sense gratification. It could be so many other things. Right? So I hope that answers your question. Sardia says, I hear that you say our previous conditioning is basically our weakness where Maya can attack us. If one becomes a devotee at a young age, before one could develop other obsessions or attachments to sinful behavior, how do we know what our attachments are? You'll know, don't worry. Would it be more subtle? Example, desire for fame or acknowledgement. Because... That conditioning is from so many lifetimes. So everyone everyone who's a devotee from birth has conditioning to deal with. And if you know anyone who's a devotee from birth, they'll tell you. In fact, one just told me the other day. And we were dealing we're dealing with a, a we're, we're developing a course and the devotee she's been a devotee her whole life and said, "Yeah, I have we're talking about conditioning. He said, yeah, I have so much conditioning. But it's not from this life. It's from other lives. So it, it's, it just requires a little vulnerability, self-honesty, introspection. And then you can start to see, okay, here are my weaknesses. And, and the point that I'm bringing this up is that nobody should take their weaknesses lightly. It's like if you have a physical disease. Well, let's say you have high cholesterol. And the doctor says, your cholesterol is too high. You have to watch it because if it gets too high, you become a liability for a stroke or a heart attack. And so he gives you a certain protocol, or he at least tells you that you should avoid certain these certain kinds of foods. Maybe take these supplements or take some 
um, what do they call those pills? A certain kind of medicine, I forget. For, not steroids, the other one. I think it also starts with an S. Um, There's a certain kind of medicine for cholesterol that they give you. So, so you'll, you'll have to do these things. And especially if it comes to a certain point, the doctor will say, you're like in a danger area. You could have a heart attack or kidney failure or a stroke. So you, you know, don't eat oily foods, don't eat milk products, don't eat this. Exercise, take this, take this medicine. I can't think of what the name of it. It's a certain kind of thing. Statins, yeah, it's statins. Take these statins. It'll reduce your cholesterol. So you know, once you know that's a problem, you, you're extremely careful. And I think that all of us have the equivalent of a spiritual disease, like a spiritual cholesterol. We all have one or more areas that we need to be careful about because those are the areas that could kill us. And so just as, let's say, you have a cholesterol problem and you, you're around food that is not healthy for you, then you have to be very cautious. No, I can't eat this. So similarly, you're around situations which are unhealthy for you spiritually. You have to be very cautious. I should. Not, I know if I get too close to this because of my weakness, I may give in to this desire. So just I'm. I'm aware. I'm not blind to this reality. I'm not. I'm not falsely uh, feeling like I'm immune. That's another problem. No, no, no. It's not a problem. Don't worry. If it's not a problem, fine. But if it is a problem, don't say it's not a problem because that will be a problem for you. So um, so everyone has that, uh, whether you're born a devotee or not. And um, fame, desire for fame could be. Um, I don't know if you're asking how we deal with that conditioning. I think that was my answer, awareness. These more subtle attachments, like the desire of acknowledgement. Oh, yeah, okay, so it's a, a good question. Uh, uh, false humility. Well, first thing, um, like how do you, you know the question could be, how do you even know? How do you even know what your attachments are? And I mean, it, Sometimes I feel like saying, how could you not know? Like, come on, how, how do, Prabhu, how do I know where my attachments are? I don't know, I don't live in your body. But, you know, if, I mean, if I live with you, I could probably tell just by seeing your lifestyle. But you know better than anyone. So it requires vulnerability. You know, being open with who? With yourself. To acknowledge for your own benefit what are those things that could cause you problems? Like, like, let's say, for example, have you noticed in certain you get in certain situations and certain impurities come out of you? 
in that situation, that situation stimulates it. Well, that's one way to understand, okay, here's a problem. When I get in this situation, I become discouraged or depressed, or I become envious, or I become lusty, you know, like, okay, so this is a problem for me. I can see this, this situation is stimulating a reaction in me, and that reaction in me should be a red flag. Okay, this is a reaction. This is a problem that I have because I'm, I'm reacting. I, w I was fine before I got in this situation. I thought I was fine. But now I realize I'm not fine because this situation made me realize that I, um, I'm more attached than I thought I was. Um, have you ever been in a situation like that where you're almost surprised? Say, oh my God, I didn't think I was like that. Or I, I didn't think I was that envious. Or I didn't think I was that attached, or I didn't think I was that lust, lustful, or I didn't realize I had this level of hatred within me, or, or I got so angry I didn't realize I could get that angry, or I was so frustrated, or this situation totally discouraged me, I didn't realize that I could get so discouraged, or this situation depressed me, or this de devotee's behavior depressed me, I didn't realize that um, I could get so thrown off my game, so to speak. So, you know, you have to notice these things because then you can say, okay, what's going on? Why did what this devotee do discourage me so much? What's going on inside of me? This is a weakness. <clears throat> or why did this devotee's actions cause me to become so critical? This is a weakness. That means anytime a devotee does something like this or similar, I become very critical and that's very unhealthy for me. So you... You catch it, you know, or or maybe you're in a situation where you were a little little, you had a little more association with the opposite sex, just circumstantially, not that you tried for it, than you normally do, and then in that association you realize, I'm much you know I'm much more attracted to the opposite sex than I thought I was. I had no idea because normally, I don't have this close association. Now that I did, <clears throat> I could see I thought it was much more detached. So you notice, okay, I have to be careful. This, is, this attachment is much stronger, or this problem is much stronger than I thought. Uh, recently, um, I was involved in some discussion, and some, some devotees would say things that I disagreed with. And sometimes I'd have a reaction, kind of like, this is disgusting reaction. You know, I was talking about that uh, in another class, you know. I was giving the, I was being a little sarcastic. I was saying, have you heard a devotee say something that makes you want to vomit? Like, you know, as a woman, you might hear some men say something really misogynistic or chauvinistic, and you just feel like vomiting. It makes you sick to hear it. And, and then you want to ask yourself, okay, this is interesting. That was a very strong reaction. Like, what's going on with inside of me? Is it my false ego? <clears throat> is it my need to be right? Is it my frustration with this or that? And so you start looking at it. Because if you don't, you'll think, hey, nothing wrong with me. It's just something wrong with everybody else. <laughs> and that way, you know, you're not going to become Krishna conscious because you're always thinking someone else has a problem. So that's what I meant, Saradiya, to be, to be very aware of who you are and what rocks your boat? 
where, where, how, how Maya can rock your boat. And then you just, you know, with that awareness, you take some precaution, take some measures. Oh, you know, I'm very attached to this or that. Okay, this month, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to renounce it, something like that. You could, you could think like that. Or come up with some strategy. You met, mentioned one other point. Um, false humility, not acknowledging pride. Yeah. False humility or false anything is not helpful. It's actually harmful. Because, you know, let's say we use your example of false humility. False humility inherently means that I don't recognize my lack of humility because I think I'm humble and I'm portraying myself to be humble. I could be one of the reasons we do that. Um, we actually convince ourselves we're humble. But sometimes, ironically, we portray ourselves as humble because we want to be acknowledged as humble. It's true, and it's sad. I've had devotees tell me this. They said they, said they portray themselves as humble. They, they, they're always very humble with the devotees. Prabhu, Hare Krishna Prabhu, I'm so fallen Prabhu. But they... They want you to think they're a good devotee, and they don't realize that's why they're doing it. Of course, it could be mixed with some good motive. But, you know, in your more honest moments, if you ever display false humility, you can acknowledge that you were doing that <laughs> so people would think you're a good devotee, which is kind of like the paradox of paradoxes, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the solution for sexual attraction all people become fat, ugly, and dirty I have a story about that uh, no, you're wrong and here's the story well, number one everyone's not going to become fat, ugly, and dirty so um, um, well, let me say something about that because this is a good point because um the solution is to become Krishna conscious. And if everybody becomes fat, ugly, and dirty, it won't work because um, we'll still become attracted because we're not Krishna conscious. So one time I was walking. Dear Ashwami and I were in Mauritius and we were taking a Japa walk. And we walked by a bus stop and there was a lady who was almost as wide as she was tall. So in other words, she was short, overweight and short. So, you know, her, it was a little, like a, a little bit like a ball, kind of. That was the impression you'd get by seeing her. And it was a very, you know, physically unattractive and, you know, just small and, you know, large body, large face, just, you know, physically, sexually unattractive. And I said to Girashwami that if every it seems that if every woman in the world was not any more beautiful than her, then the men would have a very easy time being Krishna conscious. You know, there's 
you know, maybe they want to get married or so forth, but they wouldn't be attracted to any of the women. And he said something that Prabhupada said. He said, no. He said, Prabhupada said, when you're lusty, any body will do. You know, when you're lusty, anybody will do. Any body will do. So that's, that's a heavy statement, isn't it? Like if the higher your lust, the more attractive the object of gratification is. Even if it's not attractive, it becomes attractive. And then Prabhupada said, um, every man thinks his wife is beautiful. He said otherwise. But not that every man thinks every man's wife is beautiful, but every man thinks his wife is beautiful. So beauty And I don't doubt that there are some men that would find that woman as attractive for different reasons. Maybe not physical, but because of other reasons. She's very intelligent. She's very funny. She's, they, you know, so many reasons they could be attracted. But I think Prabhupada's point was that if the lust is is strong enough, then then the object of gratification, the your standard for gratification, <laughs> goes down. Just like we all know, you know, if you're really really hungry, pretty much whatever's in the fridge, you'll just eat it within the first minute, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I don't care what it is. Oh, Prabhu, but it's raw. You should cook it. I don't care. I'm just going to eat it. I'm hungry. Have you ever been in a situation like that? The only thing left is burnt toast, and you, you like, you know, three days old burnt toast. And you're starving, so you eat it. Raise your hand if you've eaten burnt toast when you're hungry. Yeah, so it's like that. And I think we can say... Never underestimate the power of Maya to attract you. <laughs> so, then a warning, a warning to all of you, don't, don't go to the heavenly planets because the women there are not fat, ugly, and dirty at all. They're so beautiful. They're irresistible. And Prabhupada, you know what Prabhupada said, no offense to the ladies. But Prabhupada said, if you compare the beauty of the women on this planet to the beauty of the women on the heavenly planet, and we, we've never seen that beauty, and the bodies are different. They're not gross physical. They're not like our bodies. But anyway, he said, you know, the skin is different. Everything is different. The fragrance from the body is different. He said, they are so beautiful that in comparison to their beauty, the beauty of the women on this planet is like the beauty of a frog compared to a human being. Can you imagine? Like, like he's saying, you would not think anyone is beautiful if you saw the beauty on that planet. So be careful, because the Gita says, if you don't become perfect and you still have some desire to enjoy, you'll take birth on the heavenly planets and you'll enjoy there. And then you'll come back here and continue your bhakti. But it's quite a deviation of time. And then there's more samskaras you, you've, you've, you know, um, burnt into your heart from all that enjoyment. So, be care that's all I can say is be careful.
Okay, Nadius. Nadia Radhika says, what about those who don't like this world and I want to be out of here? Yeah, like if if um, this politi- this election in America, it's so polarized on both sides. Half the Americans are going to go crazy no matter who wins. And I think if if the devotees don't get the candidate of their choice, all the devotees will say, Krishna, take me back to Godhead. I can't take it anymore. And, um, you know, whatever goes on in America sends shockwaves around the world. Um, so, um, you know, it depends why you don't want to go back to Godhead and why you want to go back to Godhead. Uh, uh, because... You know, we have a duty here to serve. So, so we want to be out of the world, but we're, we're duty-bound to stay here and serve. We don't like having a body. Nobody does. Having to maintain it, nobody does. We're happier when serving Krishna and happy taking care of obligations. Yeah, well, that's... <clears throat> but here, we serve, and then Krishna gives us eternal life, so you don't have to work. We have desires to compensate so much austerity living in this world unless we continue attached one way or another, even if you don't like this world. <clears throat> I, would, I would say that all that, all what you just said is really Krishna's arrangement for you to become detached. But not to become discouraged, just to become detached. You know, if there's, if there's something happens and you can't enjoy it, or it's frustrating. Rather than get frustrated, just think, oh, this is good, Krishna's detaching me. But if we allow it to frustrate us too much, then it will have a bad effect, because then we'll become discouraged. So you have to be careful, because what could be very sattvic could then become very tamasic. And the result of tamasic is just frustration and lethargy, and I don't want to do anything. So you don't want to come to that platform. So if you're, if the material world's actually frustrating you, it would actually inspire you in, bhakti, in devotional service because you think, well, there's nothing here, and anything here just ends up in disappointment. So the only thing left is Krishna. So that way it's working. But if it doesn't work that way, then it's more an effect of it becomes more of a tamasic effect, not the way it was intended. Just like anything, you know, it, it, like Krishna says, you can have religion and goodness, you can have religion and passion, you can have religion and ignorance. Isn't that interesting? Because you think, religion, it's all about God. How can you have religion and ignorance? Yeah, well, you worship spirits, ghosts, tamasic rituals, and so the effect is tamasic. So you can have something good which has a bad effect. Something bad can have a good effect depending on what mode you process it in. So the frustration with the material world, the disappointment within it, can all be processed in different modes. And if it's processed in satvagun, it detaches us in a healthy way. If it's processed in tamagun, it just disappoints us, frustrates us. We, you know, become depressed or don't want to do anything. So Vijay Lakshmi says, what about those who don't like this? No, that's not Vijay Lakshmi. Take care of your health, keep your body and soul together, yes. 
The situation we meet are, in most cases, answer for our desires. It's not accidental, yes? Well, that, that's something to be very concerned about. Krishna Karshan is saying, let's say, I'm trying to be a good devotee, everything's fine, and all of a sudden, you know, the most choice form of maya shows up and is knocking at my door. Hello, I'm here to serve you. And you're thinking, how did that happen? Why did that happen? Oh no, this is the one thing I was afraid of, and now it's knocking at my door. And so Krishna Krishna is saying, it's not accidental, it's because it's to show you this is what you want, and Krishna's said, okay, well, this is what you want, here it is. But it doesn't mean that you have to give in to it, and it doesn't mean that you can't engage it. But at least it does mean uh, it's a time for reflection. Why did this show up? I must have wanted it. I mean, you could say, Krishna Krishnakarshan, you could say, it's just Maya testing me. Or you could say it's Krishna testing me. But in either case, it's a test. So however you slice the bread, it's a test. And it's, it's, you, don't, you don't generally see devotees being tested with something that they have no desire for because there's no test there because you don't want it. It's the things we want. If they show up, we should think, oh my Govinda, now you're showing me that this, this desire is very strong within me. You put it in front of me. Now you're showing me I really need to be careful. And now you're giving me an opportunity to either fall or run away from it. That's how we should think. Because generally, these gorgeous forms of maya do not show up in front of devotees who don't have the desire for them. That's not how it works. But generally, we're tested and tempted by the very things that we're most attracted to. And they tend to show up. So we have to be really careful to control our desire because it can show up. This this happened in my life when I had been a devotee about, I think it was six years. Yeah, it was 1976. And Maya showed up to me. It was like unbelievable. I couldn't. I couldn't believe. It's just like, here I am. And so that was my realization that I must have wanted that. Otherwise, why would Krishna do that? It was like, you know, Maya on steroids, basically. And they're all saying, what happened? What happened? Uh, I have to write a book about my life and I'll describe it. Okay. I'll tell you briefly. It was a little bit like Takaharida's story. <clears throat> um, basically, it was like Maya personified um, a young woman who was like, I think she descended from Apsara Loka, uh, heavenly planets. Like an Apsara came, and she was after me. That's a long story. And it was just very awkward. And she was after me you know, nothing I was doing, <clears throat> but situationally she showed up 
at a temple that I was in charge of, and I had to deal with her. She showed up late at night. Her husband had abandoned her. And I tried to put her in the Brahmacharya ashram, and they said, we can't deal with her. And so there she was, knocking on the door, and I was, you know, I had to deal with her. And the 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, <laughs> I had to deal with her alone, and she was propositioning me. I was like, oh, Govinda. But you'll have to read the book to find out what happened. Actually, I don't even know if I can tell you what happened. No, 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 tell me. Well, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> nothing really bad happened. <clears throat> But I can say nothing great happened also. I kind of passed the test and kind of half failed it and half passed it. But um, my realization afterwards was exactly what I was telling you. I said, well, I have to be careful. I didn't know my attachment was this strong. I thought it was stronger. And Krishna sent this woman to show me, no, you're not as strong as you think you are. Because, as I say, no matter how detached you are, there's there's one man or woman out there that can completely break your attachment. Potentially there's one. You might say, I'm not attracted to this or that. But maybe there's one that you would be if you were in, and if you met that person in a compromised situation, maybe you would be. You don't know. But my conviction is, from experience, and also from our philosophy, that if you really want Krishna, he's, he's never going to put you in a position where you would fail. He might put, put you in a position to test you. But even that, if it's not really what you want, he's not really going to send it to you, generally. I mean, he might send it to you to glorify you, that you renounced it, or like in my case, just to make you realize that you need to be more careful because you're not as renounced as you thought you is your thinking you are. So, but I would just suggest to all of you to, you know, be careful what you desire because because you may desire something that you don't really desire because you know it's not helpful for your Krishna consciousness and Krishna may then put that right in front of you. And now that it's in front of you, it could be a real challenge. And then at least, uh, I think we should think if Krishna puts it in front of me, the first thought is, yeah, I want this. That's why he's doing it. And that's uh, a big realization to face. Okay. Uh, yeah. So. Okay. Krishna Krishna wants to go to heavenly planets and become a famous singer, right? Krishna, Krishna, if you go to heavenly plans, we won't see you for like 10 million years. We'll be missing you. And you'll, she says, yeah, but I'll be having a good time. Well, let me say this about having a good time. You can't have a good time if Krishna's not there. So don't forget that. If you forget Krishna and have a good time, that's not a good time. Um, so who is speaking here? Ankush. If there's a devotee who is practicing Krishna consciousness and at the same time has lusty desires, how much lusty desire a devotee can have? 
since no one can say I don't really tell Yudhisthira about his previous life. I'm not sure what your question is. Because you didn't finish the sentence. How much less a desire a devotee can have since no one can say about his... Um, can, you, can you explain your question? I can start to answer something. Um, are you saying how much lusty desire a devotee can have and still be Krishna conscious. Now the the interesting thing is that the degree of our lust or the degree of our envy is not always in our control because it's it's somewhat conditioned by past lives and also present life and also current environment. Like we're saying, if you're on a yatra in Vrindavan, <clears throat> um, you're in a really good situation. And so you won't be feeling so much of your conditioned nature as, as strongly as you will be if you're just living in a city working 10 hours a day. It's not an ideal environment. You'll feel it more. And the reality is there, that the level of our lust, the level of our envy or our greed or whatever, often is not is not consciously under our control. It just shows up. You know, I'm feeling like this. Sometimes it's just like that. I don't want to say it's consciously not under our control because by practicing Krishna consciousness, it will be purified. So in that sense, it is consciously under your control. What I'm referring to is situations where just, you know, you just feel a certain way. It just shows up. Either you just you just feel it because of the the modes of nature affecting you at that moment, or the circumstances affecting you at that moment, and you just feel it, whatever that feeling is. In this case, we're talking about lust. The point of Krishna consciousness is: yes, you should you should control yourself and live your life in such a way that you won't feel the lust. But we all know, as conditioned souls. We all feel lust, we all feel greed, we all feel envy, we all feel these things to one degree or another, even if we don't want to feel them. And often we feel them much more intensely than we want to feel them, and sometimes we don't even know why we're feeling them, because there's no external stimulus and apparently no internal desire to want to enjoy those things, and they're there, and we wish they weren't there, because they're just bothering us. So what do you do in that situation? Because that's a real situation. It happens to all of us. What we're practicing and what we're trying to understand is in situations where we can't control what's coming in, all we can control is our reaction to what's coming in. All right? This is how I feel, or this is the stimulus that's pounding on my heart right now, or this is... This is um, Something is pounding on my heart right now. I don't know where it came from. I don't know why, but it's some conditioned response to something that's going on. Maybe I ate too many pakoras. I don't know. Something. I mean, seriously, you know, food can do, do things to you physically, which can then affect you mentally. 
So, a lot of devotees in that situation say, I'm helpless, I can't do anything, this is how I feel. But Krishna consciousness is meant to teach you how to deal with that feeling at that moment so that you can traverse the path to Krishna consciousness without allowing that particular emotion, anartha or problem, whatever it is, to get in the way of your progress. That's the key. So if you become discouraged because you have a desire or certain feelings, you say, this is how, in this situation, this is how I feel. It's very discouraging. But I would say, but why are you allowing yourself to become discouraged just because you feel discouraged? And that, that may not make sense to you. Say, you're telling me, how, why am I allowing myself to become discouraged because, just because I feel discouraged? And your answer is, you're thinking, no, but I feel discouraged. So if I feel discouraged, how is it that I wouldn't allow myself to become discouraged? That's the point. You can feel discouraged and not allow yourself to become discouraged. In fact, whatever you're feeling, if it's not helping you in Krishna consciousness, you have to figure out how not to become affected by that feeling because you can't always control those feelings. You know, sometimes you have a crazy thought, just like the thought enters your mind. It's conditioned thought. This is how you've been thinking for a million lifetimes. So you have this crazy thought and you're looking at yourself thinking, that is a crazy thought. I have no idea why I'm thinking that way. So now what do you do? Do you just give in to the thought and thinking, well, it's there. That's it. I can't do anything. No, you don't think like that. You think, okay, this is how I'm thinking, but it's not how I want to think. Right? So what am I going to do? So I have some way of dealing with it. I'm going to think a different way. Or I'm going to do something to counteract that thought or counteract that emotion or understand it or process it or react, react in a better way. We have to do that. Otherwise, we'll be controlled by all our anarthas, all our emotions, all our bad thoughts, all our lust, greed, envy. Depression, discouragement, frustration will be controlled by it all. Right? And if we're controlled by it all, then as we began this class by saying, that must be your weakness. That must be your particular weakness that Maya's, you know, dealing with you. I get frustrated often by seeing certain things that go on in our movement. And I have to know how to process that. I have to know how to detach, and I have to know how to accept it. And I just um, created a guided meditation on acceptance. And when we get the results for the election, I'm going to send it out, not before. Because half the Americans are going to need this meditation because they're, they're going to be banging their head against the wall and rioting on the street because they're not going to accept it. And Donald Trump already, I think, has told told us that if he loses, he's not going to accept it. <laughs> Which will make make it even more difficult for the people who voted for Biden. But the essence of the meditation is, this is what's happening now, I cannot control it. So if I don't accept it, 
then I'll become frustrated. I'll become angry. I'll become depressed. I'll become something. So we have to have some way of processing those conditioned reactions to situations. That's just a reality, because otherwise, otherwise, what some devotees will do is they'll say, well, you know, I'm fallen, I'm conditioned, this is how I feel. So it's a consequence of my being fallen and conditioned, so this is how I feel, and therefore, what can be done? And naturally, I'm going to act according to how I feel. And all of that's true, except the last part. You don't have to act according to how you feel. Isn't that amazing? Write that down. Tattoo that on your heart. You don't have to act according to how you feel. So you need to decide how you want to act. And that's how you should act. Not how you feel, but how you want to act. And like Gurnisha said, um, I said, by definition, a devotee is a person who doesn't, does what needs to be done even though they don't feel like it. So you have two things. How you feel and how you should understand the situation and act. And so I don't think any of us are aloof from being discouraged. I don't think any of us are aloof by being frustrated by situations, disappointed by situations, attracted um, to things of this world that aren't healthy. I don't think any of us are aloof entirely from uh, greed, from envy, you know, for sometimes lust, sometimes it's subtle. You don't notice it. But we're all dealing with this because we're all conditioned souls. If we don't learn how to, to act in a Krishna conscious way in spite of all this, if we don't learn how to understand intelligent, intelligently what's the best way to act, then we're simply being dragged around by what either we're attracted to or what we're repulsed by. And Krishna says in the Gita, attraction and repulsion is felt by all embodied, being, embodied beings. And one should, dvesha, dvesha, samutena, dvandamahena bhagata. Everyone is, is just being pulled around by the duality of, I mean, think about it. You know, Emotionally, you're reacting to what you're attached to, what you like, and what you don't like. And if we allow ourselves just to be pulled by what we like and don't like, then our whole life is just, just getting pulled around. Oh, I had a good day today. Tomorrow, complaining about everything. Oh, today was good. Tomorrow, complaining. Or every day, complaining. So we're being, we're being pulled around by attraction and repulsion. So as devotees, we have to do better than that. Okay, this is how I feel. Okay, understand how you feel. But what is going to be a response to how you feel if that feeling is not helping you? That's the point. Uh, mm. <laughs> Some devotees say that when I chant, I just get more disturbed and more agitated. Yeah. It's the impurities are coming up, but you have to detach from it. You have to have some... We, in other words, what I'm saying is we have to have some line of defense for all the stuff that comes up in our mind and heart. Otherwise, it'll totally control us. 
And it can control us so much that we just give up Krishna consciousness or give up trying or give up, you know, strong Krishna consciousness. Right? That's the danger. I think it goes I think it goes a little bit with what we had discussed yesterday where you have a you have a problem, you talk about it, you analyze it, you try to figure it out so that you can um, not give in to it, but you can understand the best way to deal with it. Okay, this is the reality. So-and-so has won the election. It's not the person I wanted. This is reality. So-and-so Prabhu has said this in class. I think it's wrong. This is the reality. So-and-so Prabhu has done this. I think that's wrong. And now... My reaction is either I'm upset, frustrated, angry, discouraged, depressed, whatever. So I need to be able to talk through that. I need to be able to understand my own emotions, my own response, so that I don't allow situations to discourage me. If we allow situations to discourage you, I could give you easily 10 like things which would totally discourage you maybe even from wanting to be a devotee. Of course, I'm not going to give them to you. But why would I? But Maya may give them to you here or there, or you may read them on the Internet. Now what are you going to do? How are you going to process it? Are you going to allow that to destroy you? That's, that's the point I'm trying to make, or that's the point I made. And it's, it's very, very important because I see that a lot of devotees, they don't have a defense against their own maya. It's just their own maya hits them, it takes over, it controls them, they see the whole world through that vision, and then they act through that vision, and then they become discouraged. And, and you remember I told this story where a devotee came to Prabhupada and said, I'm discouraged. And she gave all the reasons. And Prabhupada said, you have no right to become discouraged. And he explained why. He said, because if anyone has a right to become discouraged, it's me. And then he gave all the reasons why he had a right to become discouraged. Isn't that interesting? And then he said, but I'm never discouraged. So he was, he was, he was telling her exactly, or he was living exactly the point I'm making. He had all these reasons. He said, he said, you said, you don't have a right to become discouraged, only I do. And these are the reasons, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Like that, he went down. All the things he had to go through to spread Krishna consciousness and how nobody helped him in India. And, and he said, I'm never discouraged. You know, Prabhupada would never allow himself to be discouraged. Not possible. Because he had a service, it was the order of his guru. So I can't, this is the order of my guru, I cannot allow myself to become discouraged. Prabhupada wants us to work within ISKCON. So no matter what goes on in ISKCON that I don't agree with or I don't think is right or even is frustrates me that it's going on, I have to be able to deal with it in such a way that I can go on enthusiastically serving because that's what Prabhupada wants. So I have to develop the consciousness and the mentality so that when it, it's coming at me, I can neutralize it and I can remain sattvic, inspired, enthusiastic despite what's being thrown at me. <laughs>
Mm. Does that make sense? So that's an important point. You know, there's a saying, if life, if when life, not if, when life throws lemons at you, make lemonade. So it's something like that. Like, I have to be able to turn, turn things around that could be potentially damaging. So, I think that's clear, isn't it? And it's a very, very important point for all of us. And, and the last thing I would say about this is that what I just described for the last 10 minutes is actually the practice of Krishna consciousness. That's what it is. That's what we're doing. All this conditioning is there, but we're trying to neutralize it in a way that we can continue in spite of knowing that I'm lusty or greedy or I are angry or I tend to complain or tend to be this or that, in spite of knowing this is my conditioned nature, I've figured out how to deal with it in a way that I can go on with determination and enthusiasm in Krishna consciousness. That's required. Otherwise, there's plenty of things that are going to dis- discourage you, plenty of narthas that it will pop up and create all kinds of trouble. Okay? Is that true? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, you want to go to Prabhupada and say, and Prabhupada says, why aren't you doing this? And say, I got discouraged. (laughs) You're talking to the person who's like, like had a million more (laughs) reasons to be discouraged than you. And what's he going to say? You know, because Prabhupada was, Prabhupada was, I mean, just try to understand this. Prabhupada is doing what no one has ever done before. Westerners are becoming Krishna conscious. He sees this is happening. We didn't know if it could happen. Nobody knew, or even I didn't know. And now we see it's happening. People are taking to it. There's millions of potential people around the world who are taking to it. Prabhupada's excited. He has the vision of a worldwide Krishna consciousness movement in every major city of the world. What a job. And and how much help does he need? And he's just got a few disciples, and he sees his potential, and he couldn't get help from anybody. No God brothers, no friends, nothing. You know, aside from a few a few words of encouragement, he got many words of discouragement, he got many words of criticism, uh, they criticized him for mar- marrying his disciples. They criticized him for letting women live in the temple. Criticized him, you know, even criticized him for making us Brahmins. So many things. He, you know, he's fulfilling Lord Chaitanya's mission, and he's getting criticized for it. Come on. Right? He's in New York alone, nobody to help him. No one in New York, no one in India, Nobody. And, you know, his books are stolen, his typewriter's stolen, this, that. I mean, and you're discouraged? If anyone has a right to be discouraged, it's Prabhupada. And we can remember Prabhupada's words. I was never discouraged, although I have every reason to be discouraged. I have, I'm the only one in this country. Prabhupada's the only one in this country who has, who has the right to be discouraged. None of us have the right to be discouraged. Hare Krishna. Okay. 
Nice to see all of you. And uh, tomorrow is Thursday. We're going to have a class on Narottam Dastakor. It'll be translated into Russian, if you want. It's his appearance day, at least here in this part of the world. Okay, thank you very much. Srila Prabhupada, Ki Jai, Go Premanandi, Hari Hari Bo.